Um, in 2007, I found my favorite book of all time, and it was so, it was so life-changing for me that I even got, there was some artwork in it, and I got it tattooed on my left arm uh, whenever I was 20 years old. Um, but I found it whenever I, w- I was a teenager. It was in 2007, and there was a quote in the book that at the time, I didn't know what it meant. It really wasn't important to me, but it was one of those things that I read that I thought, this is important. And so I always kept it very close to me and all, kind of memorized it and always kind of knew where it was. And now today, when I read that quote, I think, man, this is very important. The, the author of this book, Erwin McManus, it's true what he said. And, and, and this is the statement that he made. It said, he said, the greatest battle, the greatest battle that Christians face in the future is against other Christians. I found that in 2007. And again, like I said, I, I didn't know what that meant, but I held on to that. I was like, that sounds important. It sounds like somebody's, you know, trying to, trying to prophesy, trying to, trying to think ahead towards the future. And I, I kept that really close to me. And now, as I'm a pastor, as I've been a pastor for, for over a decade, I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> That, that, that is very, very true. The greatest battle Christians face in the, in, in the, now is not against the world. It, it's the difference between Christians. I've said this many times before, and I, and I do believe it, so I hope that you'll hear me in, in this. I believe that when we get to heaven, every single denomination will be represented, okay? I, I think that when we get to heaven, there will be Catholics there, there will be Baptists, there will be Nazarenes, there will be Assembly of God, okay? Pretty much, if you didn't handle a snake... There'll probably be one of them there, okay? Now, if you touched a snake, you're a sicko, and that's a little different. But if you didn't touch a snake, there's probably going to be one of them in heaven. Now, I say that. I, I believe that all those denominations are, 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 are Christian, right? That those are Christians, that those are our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church with a capital C. However, I don't believe that every single denomination is as Christian as they should be. Now, let me explain what that means. I, 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 I look at the Catholic Church, and again, I'm not trying to bash the Catholic Church. I think our Christian brothers and sisters are going to be in heaven too. But I don't see that it is Christian to tell people that they have to go through a priest in order to be forgiven of their sins. I don't see that in my New Testament Bible. I don't see that anybody has to visit a temple and go and, and speak to a holy person in order to be forgiven or atoned for their sins. I think when Jesus died on the cross for us, our sins were forgiven and atoned for, and it's only through Jesus that we have to go through, not a priest in a robe, in a box. Now, another thing that I don't think is Christian, that again, many of these denominations do have as, as a part of their thing, is I don't believe it's Christian to tell women that they cannot be pastors. Amen. And if you look at the Southern Baptists, the, the Orthodox Church of America, if you look at Catholicism, they do not believe in ordaining women as pastors. Women cannot be preachers. And it's not just in that denomination. It's across many denominations or across many different groups. There are organizations all over our country, all over our world that aren't necessarily considered denominations, but they are basically denominations because they're organizations of churches, and and under those organizations there are certain beliefs and buy-ins that everybody participates in. One of those organizations that's very popular, especially in this progressive day that we live in, is called the Acts 29. The Acts 29 movement is a terrific organization. I love the organization. I've gone to many of their conferences before. And 
funny enough, Acts 29 Church, they actually found us out here in Troy, Anchored Hope Church, and they actually called us, and they wanted to make us a deal to give us a lot of money to plant churches all over St. Louis. This organization, Acts 29 Church, through a friend of mine, found out about us, and they thought, man, if you guys are on fire, if you guys are all about planting churches, then, man, I would love to be able to help you guys. I, I would love to be able to do this. And so they began to you know, talk about what it would be like to come alongside of us and make us part of the Acts 29 movement. Now, here's what I want you to understand about you know, Acts 29 anything, because I, I get this a lot. I, I, I get people wanting to talk about denominations, and people, you know, when they talk to us about our church, is your church deni- part of a denomination or non-denominational? Because I'm really looking for a non-denominational church, right? That's like a big thing today, right, is to find a non-denominational church. But here's the thing I want you to understand, okay? Every single church, if they're successful and they're doing it right, is a, is a part of a group of other churches, Okay, and, un- and when they're a part of that group of other churches like Acts 29, then they are all agreeing to believe the same beliefs and they are all buying into the vision of that group. And so they're also financially participating in that group. Doesn't that kind of sound like a denomination anyway, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, Church on the Rock, Morning Star, even like, even our church, uh, Journey Church in town, it says non-denominational, but they're all a part of a group of churches, and they all believe the same things and buy into the same things, a.k.a. a denomination, okay? So don't get hung up on denominations, because pretty much everybody is a part of some group of churches. So Acts 29 reached out to us and wanted us to be a part of their group, and so we had a phone conversation, we had one phone meeting and they talked about man we would give you guys tens of thousands of dollars to go plant churches all over we believe in what you guys are doing we love anchored hope i think that would be great and then they said but here's something we need you to understand we don't believe in women as pastors and i said well i've got two women on staff and they said well you would have to not call them pastors anymore they they can be teachers but they can't be preachers and they can be deacons but they can't be elders And I said, well, then that's an absolute no. Because I believe in Pastor Carey's call as much as I do my own. I I have a... I believe in the call that God has given in Ashley's life, and I believe that it's equal to mine. I have a sister in ministry who's a children's pastor in Oklahoma. I believe that my sister's call to ministry is as equal as mine. And so if the thing is is that to accept all of this money to be able to plant churches is that I have to look at my, my, female, my female partners in ministry and tell them that they are not equal to me, then no, I can't do that. Now, you may think, I hear you clap. That's really good. And now I'm going to make you feel bad about yourself. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we all hear that. We're like, yeah, you know, that's not our denomination. That's not our church. That's great. Woohoo! you know, stand up for women. But the thing is, is that it is a universal problem. It is an American problem. There, is, there, is, there are issues of equality with women, and a lot of it stems from what's happening in the church. Did you know that only 11% of churches... Since 1998, only 11% of churches were led by women. That number hasn't changed since 1998. Over 23 years, this number hasn't changed. Only 11% of churches have been led by women. In 2017, uh, there was a, a, a Barna Group study. 
This Barna Group study that was done, it, it, it took all of these different, all these different groups, different, different genders, different religions, different age groups, different part of the country, okay? This was not a Christian study. This was, a, this was an American study. And do you know what they found when they looked at this? And it was all about the, the attitude to, towards women, the attitude towards women. And this is what they found. They found that evangelicals, evangelicals are the most hesitant group to support women working outside of the home. Of all the people in the world, of all the groups, of all the different political parties, of all the different ages, evangelicals, that's you by the way, Christians, are the most hesitant group to support women working outside of the home. Also said this, 52%, 52% of evangelicals are comfortable with more women in the workplace. I thought there was like a werewolf in here. I didn't know what that was. I heard a roar. I was like, God, maybe I shouldn't be preaching on this. I'm so sorry. Uh, anyway, it's just a weird, nasty car in Troy. Anyway, 52%, 52% of evangelicals are comfortable with more women, women working in the workplace. That's, that's just close to half. Let's just call that half, right? And evangelicals, Christians, you guys, Evangelicals are the most uncomfortable with a female CEO or boss. If any other group, Christians are the most uncomfortable with a CEO or boss. And evangelicals, they are the least comfortable with women as pastors at 39%. And that 39%, that is 20 points lower than, a, than every other group. So it's not even close all the other groups, all the other groups that weren't Christian, all the other groups that were different, they were more okay with it than even Christians are. And Barna Group, when they concluded this study, it was a three-process, three-poll uh, study that they did all, all around in, in 2017. They said this. They said, this is probably due to the more traditional interpretation of women's roles as primary caregivers in the home. I, Gianni last week, we had Gianni Rucker speak last week. She did an awesome job sharing her story. And it was, it was purposefully planned to have a, women, a woman come here and, and to preach before I preached on this. I planned that months ago because I wanted that to, I wanted to you know, put, put my money, money where my mouth is. And so we took Gianni you know, to lunch last week, and she said, so what are you, what are you preaching about next week? Because she kind of got a, a little glimpse of it. And she said, so what are you preaching about? And I told her what I was preaching about. And she told me this horrible story. She said, yeah. She goes, oh, my goodness. She goes, yeah, you're, you nailed it. This is everywhere. She said, I remember one time I was asked to come and, and, and speak in Kansas City at a church, and they told me in, on the phone, they said, now remember, you're here to teach, not to preach, because you're a woman. So you're not preaching, you're teaching. Very specifically, they, they identified that. Then she got to this church, this big church, hundreds of people there. And there's this big podium in the middle, big, beautiful podium. You know, those type of podiums that, you know, fancy preachers that aren't like me, you know, use to hide half their body. And so big old wooden, golden flowers on it, you know, big old thing, you know, really give that pastor that authority, you know what I mean? And you protect not ever having zipper problems because you can't see it. And so he's up there, and so the pastor gets up to, to introduce Gianni, and he gets up behind this big pulpit, and he says, we're so excited to have Gianni Rucker here today at our church um, teaching and speaking to you guys and so we just want to invite Gianni up and everybody started to applaud and go wild and Gianni came up and she she came and she shook the pastor's hand and then she came behind the big pulpit and he grabbed her by the shoulder and said no 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 you can't speak behind this pulpit this is for a man 
He said, your, your place is over there. And pointed to a little tiny stand just like this. And in front of hundreds of people, Maid Gianni took her over by her elbow to this little tiny metal stand. Because this was her place that she was supposed to speak from. She said, that was quite embarrassing. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sure that was. I remember in, in, in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Kate and I, when we were looking for a church to partner with and to plant with, we went and interviewed in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, before you guys ever called. And so we went and we interviewed, and you know, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, so let's enlighten you about what preachers have to go through. When I get called to interview somewhere, they don't just want me to come and interview for a job. They also make you bring your spouse. <laughs> And they run your spouse through the gambit as much as you do. Like it's, you know, it's the only job in the world where you could possibly not get hired or will get hired based off of your spouse. So, uh, so they have you bring your wife with you or your, your husband. And so they, they brought us there and they interviewed us. The board did. And then they took us out into another room because, you know, it's like an eight-step process. They run you through every filter they could find. And then they brought us in front of these members of the congregation. They wanted the members of the congregation to talk to us. And so they asked me all kinds of questions. They asked me questions on my philosophy of ministry, what I liked, what were my interests, all kinds of normal questions you would assume. And then they said, does anybody have any questions for, for Kate, my wife? And the first question, hand went up very quick. Ooh, 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 me, 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 me. And they said, yeah, you. And she said, when are you going to have babies? That was the first question my wife got. When are you going to make a baby? And Kate and I looked at each other, and I, and I said, I said that, that, that's, that's an inappropriate question. And I, if there's nothing else you hear today, let me have you take something away. Don't ever go up to a young couple or somebody who you don't see without a child and ever, ever ask them when it is they plan to have a child. Because there's a story probably there, and maybe they do want to have kids and they can't. Or maybe they don't, and it's, it's none of your stinking business. Don't ever ask that question. It's super inappropriate. So is it super inappropriate for them to, to ask that question to my wife? And I said, that, that's an inappropriate question. Can we, can we do another one? So the second question. Second question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you play the piano or sing? That was the second question. Because, man, if you want a good pastor's wife, fellas, if you ever go into misery, you want a good pastor's wife, find a girl who can sing. They love that stuff. These, anvi- these evangelical churches, man. If, if, you find, if you find a girl, you know, who can sing and lead worship along with you, that's, that's great. Because what they see it as is a double doozy. We can pay one of them, but we get two pieces of talent, right? The church is a very fair place, guys. It's a great career. Anyway, but I thought that's so inappropriate. That's so wrong. We've dealt with that in the church. I've seen that in my own family. I've seen that through my friends. But it's not just there. I mean, it's, even, it's in the world too, guys. Kate and I, last month, we went to a, we went to a birthday party, and uh, it was a bun of, around a bunch of, you know, Christians, evangelicals, right? Not at this church. And it was one of those birthday parties. Have you ever gone to one of those birthday parties a, a, as a couple or with your friends where you didn't know anybody, so you stayed, like, super close to one another, right? You're like, okay, we don't know anyone here. Stay close to me. We'll get through this together, all right? No, you can't go to the bathroom. I'll be left alone with them, all right? No, don't go to the bathroom. you got to hold it. Gotta hold. So it was one of those birthday parties. So Kate and I are at this birthday party, and we're cuddled up on, <laughs> at this table, staying very close to each other, you know, making sure we don't have to, you know, talk to anybody one-on-one. And anyway, this woman walked up, and she introduced herself and started the small talk chat, you know, while all the kids were playing and something. And her question was, she goes, so, 
do both of you work or just, and looked at me. Like, like her question was basically, so do both of you have jobs or is it just you? Because I know you, you're the man in this relationship. You definitely have a job, but do you, you're a woman, you may not have a job. So do you work? I mean, the implications of that. And, you know, my wife, man, let me tell you something. My wife, the, the best thing about my wife is that she just could give, give a rip what you think about her. Like, my wife, the hottest, which is weird because her parents here, but let me tell you guys, Jeff and June, the hottest thing about your daughter. <laughs> Got a lot of power right now. The hottest thing about my wife is that she doesn't need any validation from anybody to know who she is. Like, she doesn't need anything. She doesn't post on social media. She don't take, she don't need, because she doesn't need any of that, which is so good because she married a diva. So, uh, <laughs> she, she married a validation vacuum, okay? So, it's a good thing. But my wife, she could give a rip, so this doesn't even phase her. My wife just looks at her and goes, yes. I work. And me, being who I am, about threw a fit, and I said, uh, my wife doesn't just work, okay? She is a VP for the Bank of Old Monroe. She oversees an entire department. She has employees who works for her. She makes more money than I do, and her degree is in biology. So there's a reason that my wife drives the car with the turbo engine, and I drive the soccer mobile, okay? <laughs> She could clean and jerk a hundred pounds. She could literally, where's your little husband at? I saw him running around here. She'll pick him up and raise her above his head and kill him, all right? And she looked at me like I was a psychopath. We're not going back to that, that birthday party next year. We are not, you're not going to get invited because I, I, I went off like that. But my point is this. My point is this, is that across the board, if you start to hear people's stories and experiences, and I'm sure some of you do too, especially if you've been in ministry or been around the church, is we don't, we don't view women equally. We don't. We don't view women equally, especially in the church. And this is why we're talking about this, because many people have asked me, why are you talking about this? Why are you stirring the pot so much? Why are you getting on this topic? And the reason is this, is because I believe that as Christians, we are called to set an example on earth of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. I believe that it is our job as Christians to give the world a preview of what God wants us to get back to and how it was in the garden. And it is sad when we talk about issues of equality or racism and that Christians don't set the bar, we actually lower it. And if we go by our stories and on the stats and the studies that have been done, evangelicals are apparently the most uncomfortable with equality with women. That's a problem, and it has to change because it's been ingrained in the evangelical church, and it's become ingrained in the American way that men are just above women, and I don't believe that. And the problem is, is that when the church models this, when the church, 
When the church denies women the ability to preach, lead, teach, and work outside of the home, the church is continuing a long historical tradition of subordinating, subordinating women. And that can't be how it is. It shouldn't be that way. And we, we have to do better. So we're going to study this for the next four weeks. We're going to look at this. And I've done a lot of study and done a lot of research, done a lot of exegeting. And I hope, 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 hope that you come back every single week. And you know what? This is going to be one of those series where you are going to share with somebody. You're going to share with somebody in your family. You're going to share with a friend. And boy, you guys are going to have a hot debate. It's going to be like Trump versus Biden all over again, okay? I mean, if you thought vaccine versus non-vaxxers was intense, wait till you get on this issue, okay? Because it, it is. It's, it's, it's a hot-button issue, and it's a generational thing, too. And so if you're younger and you talk to somebody of a different generation, boy, you are, you are you're stepping into a, a territory that they don't want you to step into. It's the truth. But the thing is, is that we have to look at this, and we have to do better, and it's important. And you'll see why through this series. But I thought today, when I thought about, well, where am I going to start? You know what I mean? Because obviously there's already scripture verses that are going through your head because you all know your scripture so well, right? And all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to get to all that. I'm going to get to everything Paul said. I'm going to get to all the verses you're thinking of. Trust me, I've covered my ground. I'm going to get to it. But you know what I thought? I thought today's the best place to start would just be with Jesus. Because one important thing that I hope that I've taught you so far is that everything you look at in your Bible, whether it be Old Testament or even New Testament, is you have to look at it through the lens of Jesus, okay? You have to put your Jesus glasses on to be able to understand what you're reading. There's context, there's history, but you have to view it through the lens of Jesus. And so today I just want to take you through a small journey of how, what Jesus did with women, how, how Jesus used women, how Jesus empowered women. I want you to, to understand and see because there were so many influential women who were surrounded by Jesus and, and on purpose. Jesus brought them on and made them part of this. One of the most interesting things that I found in my study is, have you ever wondered how Jesus paid for stuff? Right? Have you ever read, like, Jesus' journey? You know, it's a three-year ministry from 30 to 33. He's traveling everywhere. He's eating all these places. Have you ever stopped and thought, you know, how did Jesus pay for all this? I mean, he was a carpenter. Did he stop on the weekends and compete with Ikea and make some furniture? Like some iChrist furniture? You know, what did he do, you know? I was Hey, man, I worked on that joke for like five minutes. That better, that better get a bigger pop. All right? All right, I know. I'm running out of time. they got a countdown on me now. Uh, but I want to look at what, how Jesus paid for stuff. There's a very important verse in Luke. I want you to check this out. And I want you to see you know, what's there. So this is in, in Luke. And this is, this is what Luke records. Luke was a great journalist that kind of wrote all the details of Jesus' ministry down. And, and, and there's something very important here. It says, After this, Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were there, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So there were not just Jesus' 12 merry men, but there were also a huge, large number of women who were traveling around with them. And then it goes on. And it says, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out of, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. So there was a group of women that were traveling with Jesus and these men, these disciples. 
And it names three of them specifically. Mary, which if you don't know your, your, your Bible, there's three Marys, right? There's Mary, Jesus' mother. There's Mary Magdalene. And there's Mary uh, of Bethany, which was Lazarus and Martha's sister, right? One of Jesus' very best friends. So there's three Marys that you need to you remember that. And so it stops and it talks about each one of these three specific ones because they were very important. Mary, who we know, right? And then Susanna, which we don't know who, Zan- who Susanna is. It's like a lot of Susans. They're just, you kind of forget about them after a while, all right? It's, it's like the Karen of the Bible. And then there was Susanna, you know. Well, who is Susanna? Well, we won't talk about her. But anyway, there is a very, very important name here that if you read the Bible too fast and didn't do your research, you may have skipped. And that one is Joanna. Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Do you know who this is? It says, it tells us who it is. It says, the manager of Herod's household. You remember King Herod, right? King Herod, the king at that time, the king who wanted to kill Jesus. Now, what you may not know is there was King Herod, right? King Herod, that when G- he found out Jesus was about to be born, he, he, said, he had every, every, every baby killed, right? The firstborn, the babies, the boys that were being there, he had them killed. That's King Herod who was trying to kill Jesus as a baby. Well, then that Herod dies, and then the, his kingdom was divided between four other sons. So four sons of Herod then took the kingdom and became other Herods. Two of them worked out. Two of them didn't. One of them that didn't work out was replaced by Pilate. You remember Pilate, right? The one who ended up crucifying Jesus, and so that's how we get Pilate. But there was a Herod. There was a son of Herod's named Herod that was trying to kill Jesus when he was 30 years old and had his ministry. Well, here's the interesting thing that happened. is It goes on, and, and it says this in, in Luke 8, 3. It says, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Everywhere that Jesus went and everywhere that Jesus traveled, Everything was paid for by these women. These women were helping support Jesus of their own means. These women were paying Jesus' bills. Everywhere Jesus and his merry little 12 went, there was always a woman there with a credit card going, put it on my tab. That's pretty boss, right? That's pretty CEO right there. But one woman in particular was paying for most of it, which was Joanna. And here's what's interesting about Joanna, is that her husband, her husband uh, Chacuza, Chacuza was the treasurer of Herod. So Herod, he was this king, and he had all these finances and all these land and all this stuff, and he, didn't want to, he couldn't maintain it himself. So what did he do? He appointed a treasurer, which was Chacuza. And, and Chacuza, he had a wife named Joanna. So essentially, this is what was going on. Herod, Herod wants to kill Jesus, but can't get to Jesus because he keeps traveling everywhere, and his ministry is being financed by a woman whose husband works for Herod. <laughs> so you know what's hilarious about that? Is Herod, who was trying to kill Jesus, was ending up bankrolling the operation of Jesus' ministry the entire time. It's pretty cool, right? But, but here's my point. How was Jesus' operation bankrolled? It, it was by Jesus, Jesus. It was by a woman. A woman was paying for everything. Now, another story that you, you probably know. There was Simon the Pharisee, right? Simon the Pharisee. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'll go to this next one. The movement of Jesus started with women not being not only being fully empowered participants, but also bankrolling the operation. He invited them to be a part of it. He invited them to 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 be a part of his ministry, to be there with the twelve. 
Now we'll get to the Pharisees. So there was another story that you probably know, Simon the Pharisee, who kept trying to get Jesus to go to lunch with him. He just kept trying to corner Jesus because the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. So he's like, Jesus, I'm going to take you to lunch. Jesus, I'm going to take you to lunch. And Jesus kept going, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Finally, Jesus gives in, and he has lunch with Simon the Pharisee. So here they are. They're at Simon the Pharisee's house. They're, they're face-to-face with one another, talking to one another. You know, this Pharisee thinks he's going to straighten Jesus out. And then all of a sudden, a woman runs into Simon's house, gets down on Jesus' feet, and just starts weeping and crying. And she's got a bottle of perfume. Her hand is shaking. As she's crying and weeping, she takes the perfume. She starts pouring it on Jesus' feet. And with her tears and the perfume bottle in her hand, she starts washing Jesus' feet. And Simon the Pharisee, he sees this, and he's disgusted. It tells us this in Luke. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a real prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Simon, he looks at this woman because she's a woman and because of her reputation and goes, ick. I mean, if Jesus were a real king, if Jesus were really who he says he is, if he was really God on earth, I tell you what, he definitely wouldn't let a woman touch him. Because women at that time were seen as so much lower than men. Even their bodies, they were not desired. Women were, bodies were seen as disfigured men's bodies. And so they looked at women in disgust. They didn't celebrate them in any way. And so this woman runs in and he goes, oh, a woman at his feet. And he's allowing that to happen? This is definitely not the king of kings. And Jesus, he sees what's going on. And he sees her. And he, he looks at Simon. He can see the disgust on his face. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time, from the time that I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. Jesus looks at the woman and looks at Simon, and Simon, with all the knowledge that he has of the the Bible that's been written so far, with all the knowledge he has of the law, with all the things he's done for the temple, Jesus looks at Simon, the man, and goes, you think you are so much better than her. But even though she's a sinner, even though she hasn't lived a perfect life, she gets it more than you do. Because of the love that she has shown me. You know how important that is contextually? For Jesus to use a woman as the example of who we should be more like and not Simon, the religious man. The moral of this story, when it was written down as it was shared, the moral of the story is be more like the woman at Jesus' feet. Which that alone is so powerful And so great that Jesus would use a woman in that way to say, be more like that woman. A woman? Oh, no. I would never. No, you should be. Because that woman who is at my feet, she gets it. Another story. Mary of Bethany, the, the brother, uh, uh, the sister of Lazarus, and the sister uh, of Martha. You remember a time when Jesus was traveling, he stops at Martha and Mary's house. And what happens? Jesus goes into the living room, and he begins teaching and talking. And he's teaching and talking to a bunch of men. There's a bunch of men there. And then who plops down front and center right at Jesus' feet, folds her legs, and starts listening? Mary. 
And it drives Martha crazy. Because what is Martha doing? Martha's in the kitchen. Martha's in the kitchen cleaning, making sandwich, making a, a very beautiful chorito b- b- cheese board thing, whatever it's called. And, you know, she's going to town. She's being a good guest and a good host. And then she sees her sister in there sitting at Jesus' feet. And she goes to Jesus and says, will you tell her to get out of there? She shouldn't be in there. She's a woman. Tell her to get in the kitchen and help me make, make dinner. Yeah, tell her to get in the kitchen and help me clean up. That's what a woman should be doing. This is so wrong. This is so embarrassing. She's embarrassing me in front of all my neighbors and my friends. Will you tell Mary to get out of here? And what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at Martha and he says this. He says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Wow. Do you understand the implications of that? That when Jesus was sitting there and teaching a a, a ton of men, and a woman sat down front and center and wanted to listen to, a woman herself ran in and said, this isn't right, this shouldn't be happening. Tell her to get out of here, she's not supposed to be in there. And Jesus says, no, I will not do that because where she is is exactly where she should be. And what Jesus was saying at that point in time is this, she is equally important to me as these men. She is as equally important to me as anyone else. One last story. And again, it's one you know. Of when Jesus was going to the temple. And he was going and he was going to teach underneath a tree as he did many mornings. But the night before, a group of men caught a man and a woman in adultery. And they kidnapped the woman. Even though it takes two to tango and there was a man committing adultery too, what did they do? They kidnapped the woman. And then they took the woman, they kept her overnight, and they took her to Jesus at the temple. And you know the story. They threw her down in front of Jesus. Didn't take the man, but took the woman, threw her down in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, this woman was caught into adultery. The law says that we should stone her. What do you think? And what did Jesus do? Jesus stood up for her. Jesus said, oh, you think you're better than her? You, all you men, all you men who are ready to grab your stones? I see you didn't bring the other guy who was caught in adultery, but you made sure that you brought her. Well, I tell you what, whoever is without sin, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? And what happened? They all left. They all left because every single one of them knew that none of them were better than she was because they had all equally been guilty of sinning in the past. And Jesus looked down at her and says, woman, is there anyone here? Anyone here to accuse you? Anyone here to harm you? And she says, no. And he goes, well, then neither am I. Go and sin no more. Jesus defended her. And then probably one of the most, my favorite examples is that when Jesus resurrected, when Jesus died on the cross, was crucified, and then three days later rose again, who did he reveal himself to first? A woman? Oh. <gasps> Why didn't he show up with all the, all the little merry men and go, surprise, here I am? Because they're stupid. That's why. <laughs> because even when they saw it, they couldn't believe their eyes. Because men are a little dumb sometimes, right? So he had to reveal himself to a woman, and it was a woman. It was a woman. It was Mary who revealed the good news that Jesus was alive. My point is this. My point is, is Jesus empowered, included And stood up for women. And let me tell you something. If Jesus empowered, included, and stood up for women, then you probably should too. Do you know what a feminist is? 
I learned what a feminist was watching Dave Chappelle. I'm not telling you to watch Dave Chappelle, but anytime something's going on in the world, pastor's got to stick his nose in it, so I watch it. But anyway, he asked this question. He says, do you guys know what a feminist is? Because he hadn't looked it up, and he didn't know if he was a feminist or not. A feminist, by definition, is this, a person who supports full social, economical, and political equality for women. So Dave Chappelle said, I think I'm a feminist. And I looked at that, a person who supports full social, economical, and political equality for women, and I go, oh my goodness, Jesus was a feminist. I know it's a little uncomfortable for some of you, but Jesus was a feminist. Because Jesus would support full social, economical, political, and equality for women. That's all it is. And so I kind of look at that, and I go, well, if Jesus was a feminist, then I should probably be a feminist too, right? And that makes some of you uncomfortable. And that's okay. But that's the truth. Because Jesus did. He empowered, included, and he stood up for women. And that's hard, right? So the thing you've got to ask yourself, the first question you need to ask yourself, the question you're going to talk about in your groups this week is this. Is there a part of me that makes judgments, opinions, and assumptions of people based on their gender? Is there any part of me that is a little sexist? And and let me be clear, okay? This is not, for the next four weeks, this is not going to be a man bashing, okay? So, I mean, I don't want all the women to come with, like, yeehaw signs and all the guys to be like, yeah, I got hunting this weekend, so I ain't going to make it, pastor, okay? I don't want that. You laugh because I know you so well, all right? Yeah, I had to kill that turkey, and he got away from me for four weeks. (laughs) Just had to keep going out there, pastor. (laughs) This is not just a question for, 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 for men. Guys, this is a question for women as well. Because here's what I've found through this too, is that women can be as equally sexist. We've created these arenas that we believe that only women belong in. And some women have, stood, have gotten so used to these arenas that they've defended them. And, I mean, I, I, I get this all the time. I, I sometimes hear women say, well, you wouldn't know. You're, you're not a mom. Well, you wouldn't know that. You're, you're a man. I had somebody in my own house, not too recently, but in my own house, there was a picture that was hanging up, and they said, oh, Oh, you probably wouldn't know. I wonder where Kate got that. I'll have to ask her. And I said, girl, I bought that at Kirkland's last weekend. (laughs) I downloaded my coupon from my email, got me a pumpkin spice latte, and I went to Kirkland's. Now, what's really funny is, and this is a true story, it's not a pastor's story, what's really funny is, I bought the picture and Kate measured and hung it. (laughs) That's truth. (laughs) That's how it went down. But ladies, seriously, some of you look at a man and go, you don't know how to take care of a child. Some of us do, because that's an important thing for a man to do. Because it's just as important for a father to be able to take care of his kids as a mother takes care of his kids. And I'm guilty of it too. Trust me. This has challenged me. Look, I'm just as guilty to it. I mean, we're we're going to have a, a, a baby dedication Sunday. And all the times when we do baby dedications, I go, now men, show, show your child how to be a man, how to be a leader. And I look at the women. I go, show, show him how to love and be gentle and kind. I'm just as guilty of it. 
It's something that's been ingrained in a lot of us, and it's wrong. But we as men and women have to understand that we both play our part in this. And I mean, I got, I, I, again, I'm getting asked a lot, like, why are you preaching on this? Why are you talking about this? And here's what it honestly boils down to. If there is one verse that I want you to memorize and to take with you, it's this. And it's written by Paul, and it's from Romans. It says, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another. Men, be devoted to women. Women, be devoted to men. doesn't matter their gender or their race or their culture or their background or their experience. We should be devoted to one another in love. And Paul says, what does that look like? It looks like honoring one another above yourself. And men, historically, have not ever put a woman above themselves. They have always reminded them that they are less than. And it is time for men to honor women by putting them above themselves, by letting go of the excuses and moving on and making them equals. And if this makes you uncomfortable, I I hope it does. I hope it does. And it's normal. It's normal. And some of you look at it and go, I don't think it's as bad as you think. Well, of course you would say that because you're a white male. And here's the thing that many of you don't understand. This is what Black Lives Matter has been trying to teach us. This is what the Me Too movement has has tried to teach us. There are problems there and there are things that were done that were not done well. But the thing that all of them are trying to say, say is that some of you are so privileged that you have never been told to change who you are because of the color of your skin or the genitalia that you have. But there are people who have. There have been black people who have been told to stop being black. Then there have been women that have been told to act more like a woman. And that's wrong. That's not right. But as males, many times, we have not had to face that. We have not been told to adjust our manness, but others have. And that's not fair. And so I hope that you hear my heart in this. I hope that you hear what it is I'm trying to accomplish. I'm trying to teach us how to model being devoted to one another in love, to honor one another above ourselves, no matter their skin or their gender or anything else, because when we model that, we model the kingdom of God. And we give people a preview of what heaven is going to look like. And I guarantee you that when we get to heaven and when we get back to the garden, as it was with Adam and Eve, we will be equals with one another. There's not a different heaven for men and a different heaven for women. We will be equals, devoted to one another in love. So, my challenge to you is to ask yourself that question. To ask yourself, is there any part of you that judges or has opinions or preconceptions of people based on their gender? And that goes for men and women. And to ask yourself, how might I, how might I be devoted to others in love? How might I honor others above myself? Because that is what Jesus did for you. That is what Jesus did for men and for women. And that is how you should live your life. Let me pray for you real quick. Father God, we come to you today, and I just I thank you for this conversation. I thank you for being able to listen, to be able to learn, 
I thank you for the challenge that you've laid in front of us. And God, would we, we, be, we may we be transformed. May we be changed. May you speak to our hearts and how we treat one another. Your, your greatest command that you ever give, gave us is to love one another, to treat one another in the way that you, your, your son Jesus Christ, first treated and loved us. Well, God, will you help us to do that for all gender, for, 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 for anyone who may have a different color skin than us, for anyone who may be a different age than us or be a different generation for us? May we be able to love one another as you have loved us. Would you teach us what that looks like? Would you teach us what it looks like to honor one another and love one another? In your name we pray. Amen.